Hello and welcome to the latest State of the Nation podcast, where every week we take an alternative look at the news, moving beyond the consensus with me, Michael Kelly. If you're enjoying the podcast, well, please hit like, subscribe and share with other people who you think might enjoy joining the conversation. You can also leave us a rating. I'm delighted today to be joined by Wendy Grace. Hi, Wendy. Great to be with you, Michael. Looking forward to a chat that's going beyond a lot of what we've been hearing in the mainstream media. Wendy, we're just a few weeks away from the referendum now, and I don't know where you're coming from on it, but uh, I can't get any of my friends interested in, in this at all. Even people who normally talk about politics, who consume politics on a daily basis, just can't seem to get in to this referendum. So where I'm coming from, there's obviously two distinct referenda. They're both being held on International Women's Day. We can get into that in a while, why that's the case. But the first one, of course, which uh, fascinates me because because I'm not sure this is something politicians really want to talk about, is this idea of broadening out um, the, the family further than marriage. So what they're talking about, they've come up with this idea of a durable relationship. But what under heaven is a durable relationship? And what's fascinating is every time a politician is asked about this, they, they don't Yeah, they can't find it themselves. It's really just trying to be all things to all people. And in doing that, I think they're going to undermine something that's really important across the world, not just in Ireland, which is how do we support and protect marriage? That's not to diminish other types of relationship, other type of kinship. But there's a reason that marriage is elevated above those relationships, because where marriage is strong, so too goes society and culture. But, you know, correct me if I'm wrong on this. Like you look at the situation at the moment there's a special protection for marriage and uh, okay you know there might need to be some modernization around that because there's all kinds of situations now but durable relationship like was there not something better than a durable relationship what is a durable relationship i mean are we going to have a situation in years to come where uh, a man who's been having an affair for many years uh, he dies the lady who's been having the affair with for 20 25 years she comes and decides well you know i have a rightful claim on some of his inheritance because that has been a durable relationship and eamon ryan in fairness to him who i think has been the most honest about this of all the ministers who have been asked about it he's saying well we have to leave that up to the courts and we know in this country uh that the courts interpret things in all kinds of ways even before this constitution is changed we had a case recently where the supreme court decided that a non-married man uh, was entitled to the widow's pension so look what could be ahead of us but also michael is kind of something that's so subjective you know your idea of a durable relationship could be totally different to mine and kind of similar to what you're saying we could be in a relationship and i could think it's a durable one you'd be thinking actually no it's something totally Ah, different to me for years in fairness But that's that's what's, I suppose, so troubling about it is that the fact that it could just fall into any number of categories. And also, as a mom and thinking of my kids when they grow up, ultimately, what do I want for them? You know, you want them to be in a loving, committed relationship, a durable relationship. But why would the person they're with not make a commitment to them? We have civil marriage. We're not talking about church marriage here. We have civil marriage. We have, um, obviously, people can get married in or outside of a church. Men can marry men. Women can marry women. Why do we need another category? Yeah. I mean, why would we create a situation where, well, for me, from the woman's perspective, it's a case of it's it's kind of another deterrent from encouraging long-term commitment. Why would you not want to encourage and support that? I think by all means, you can include other types of care and kinship but that doesn't mean we have to remove the special protection for marriage that's within the constitution um and the thing that's probably most the reason why we're having this conversation is this was kind of railroaded through there was no real proper kind of legislative scrutiny on this 
And I think if there was these types of concerns that we're raising and, and people like, you know, former Attorney General, Senator Michael McDowell have had, would have had a chance to be thrashed out. Now, the other side of this referendum, I'm going to say something now, which is moderately controversial. A few years ago, it wasn't controversial. But from where I'm sitting, you are a woman. You identify as a woman, right? That's correct. OK, just when I remove any controversy from this conversation the second part of the referendum is so-called women in the home now i mean i see you've got my goat already michael well you see as for me it's been really frustrating to hear so many of the conversations around this being saying you know this is the woman in the home referendum hello the constitution doesn't say that i don't it's one of those ones it's like how many times do we have to say how many kind of you know eminent judges do we have to i mean just as susan denham said no it doesn't describe any duty to women whatsoever um and i think it's just it's one of those kind of handy phrases that's been coined by those who are pushing for its removal um because it's it's seen as kind of pejorative yeah the language is a little bit outdated you could certainly update it but really you know there's women probably listening to this now that it doesn't matter whether they're working full-time in the home working part-time inside out it doesn't really matter or working full-time outside of the home what the constitution is saying women are a really important part of society Without you, the common good can't be achieved. Now, when I say that out loud, I'm saying that's pretty empowering. Why would we want to take that away? Well, look, my bad. Even I've drank some of the Kool-Aid calling it the uh, women in the home referendum. Now, Maria Steen, a woman who's really well known on these discussions, a barrister, uh, a writer, she's been speaking in Dublin about this recently. Let's hear what Maria had to say. To my mind, this proposal does nothing for women. Rather, it erases them. It denies the differences between men and women between mothers and fathers, between mothers and carers. It obliterates the name of mother because it wants to deny the concept of mother as an idea. Sex is irrelevant and gender is interchangeable. A mother is simply a parent who provides care. What an impoverished understanding of what a mother is. No warmth, no softness, no reference to the fierce, faithful love she has for her child. Instead, what replaces her all-encompassing love, which allows the tiny heart of her child to grow and flourish, is a sanitized, controlled functionary who carries out tasks that are deemed to be care. You know, when I hear just some of what Maria is saying, I think I can identify with and a lot of mothers across the country can identify with it because basically, to me, it makes no sense why there is groups that are saying, hey, like the National Women's Council of Ireland, essentially like I think they're 90% of their funding comes from the government they're kind of like a quanga really you know mm. no surprise they're telling the government line on this one but they you know they're trying to basically take out what makes mothers totally unique there's nobody else that is a mother to my child you know yeah. whether I raise them or not there's not I, I grew that child you know I literally was made for them and this is basically trying to just homogenize anybody who might care for my child as exactly the same as me and I think you have a whole you know group of women across the country that be listening to this going hang on what you're trying to say is that it's a you know my role is irrelevant like this is a group that we already feel undervalued in our role we already feel like we are not recognized um the care that we give to our children and the sacrifices that you make to raise your children um which is really what will any mother tell you about their child they will do anything for that child to love and protect them 
that kind of selfless love that we have. And yet we're trying to just say, actually, that doesn't matter. Well, I think I saw you writing recently about a survey that had been done on what the value of motherhood is. And if, you know, we had to pay women a salary for the work that they do both around children and in the home, what it would be on an annual basis. Yeah. And I mean, well, it depends what country you're in, but I, I thought that must be nine to five because it was like, depending on the survey you read, it's anywhere between 70 and 100,000. But I'm thinking, yeah, that's definitely the eight hour day, not the 24 seven. And yeah, you're 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 everything to that child. And, and again, I, I have to this is whether you're working inside or outside the home. These you have these duties. Yeah. Um, and that's something that I think is missing from the conversation. But also what's missing is actually talking to women about their experiences and what they want. Well, you see, that's back to the point you did talk about the National Women's Council there. Now, listening to you, listening to Maria, I mean, it seems to me really it should probably be renamed the National Council for Women Who Agree With Us. Well, something like that, because women who seem to have an alternative point of view, they are completely silenced. There was uh, a group, a kind of a, a few different groupings that came together about a week ago um, when the National Women's Council did their kind of launch of their Yes campaign. Different groups coming together saying, hang on, you're not listening to our voices. I spoke to one of the women, she's an author, Estelle Birdie, and she said they were pretty, the women were coming out kind of almost laughing at them, far be it from actually kind of wanting to listen to their experiences. And it's almost like even, let's take a woman like Maria, she's a qualified architect, barrister, Montessori teacher, she's five children to the women in the National Women's <laughs> Council. You staying at home with your kids, like that's a disservice to the sisterhood, to them. They only want to support women who would fall into a particular clique, into a particular box. And that's th the women whose voice that they are raising. And that's fine. But you're, they're meant to, we're meant to be lifting up all women's voices here. And, you know, to, the thing is as well about the language of the Constitution is for me, even though, as you've mentioned at the outset, Michael, people aren't talking about this no. referendum much. It's a bit of a waste of time. It's a waste of airtime. It's, it's a waste of 20 million. It's, it's, it's up to 20 million the government would spend at a time when it's a convenient distraction for them to be talking about this when we have so many other issues that we could be focusing on. But, you know, <laughs> we should be saying, if we're going to be talking about this, hang on, why don't you do for us what the Constitution actually says, which is a woman shouldn't be obliged by economic necessity to leave the home. Well, here's the point as well to me, because one of the words they're going to say is they're going to strive to support carers. I mean, legally, what does the word strive mean? Like when I look at the Constitution, the Constitution says that everyone is equal, right? Yet John Bruton's funeral at the weekend, Father Bruce Bradley, who gave the homily, he uh, discussed the growing inequalities in Irish society. So if the constitution obliges the government to make the country more equal, uh, what are they doing? What's the legal uh, flesh and the bones of that? Likewise, we're going to strive to protect carers. I mean, does that mean we're all going to like, or the government's going to sit around and say, oh, we really want to, to do more for carers? And it strikes me as well is there's being a little bit of political shenanigans going on about this. Rodrigo Gorman, who seems to be the lead minister in this, who seems to be fronting all of these uh, reforms uh, himself, He's basically saying, oh, if this constitutional provision passes, then I'll be free to release so much more money to carers. But, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. He's free to do that now. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that he, what, what Roderick O'Gorman said recently said, a woman's place is wherever she wants it to be. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. The Constitution already says that. And later in our Constitution, it talks about the equal right of men and women to earn a living. But the problem is, is. Actually, Minister O'Gorman, it's not where she wants to be at the moment because there's thousands of women across the country that for that re very reason, economic necessity, they're having to leave very small children in their early years 
And when you ask them and you look at the research that's been done, they say, actually, I'd much rather be at home, especially in those er early years. And the government's talking out of two sides of its mouth, by the way, because on the one hand, they publish the first 1000 days and research talking about the importance of caring for your children, especially in the first three years of life. And on the other hand, they're trying to remove this from the Constitution to give us another kick out the door when we might not want to go. We might want to be with our small children. And actually, it's it means they can abdicate any responsibility that they might have to that to that phrase about that a woman shouldn't have to leave her home out of economic necessity. Now, again, there was not enough scrutiny over the new proposed wording. I mean, of course, they could have added in, thankfully, the reality for some families across the country. Um, fathers are much more involved. Of course, you have stay at home dads as well. And other people who I mean, my mum, my children's grandmother has done a tremendous amount of care of my children. I mm -hmm. couldn't be a working mother without her. And I'm very thankful for that. Those people could, of course, be included. But again, that's not the same as removing it entirely and completely denigrating the role that women play in raising. Oh, who's the most important person in your life? My, my mom. Absolutely. Yeah. No question. And look, Correct me if I'm wrong about this. I don't want to appear overly cynical. And uh, dear listener, I'm not putting on my tinfoil hat now, so you do not need to readjust your podcast. But isn't there a wider agenda here? I've noticed recently government ministers, they've stopped using the term childcare. They're using the term now early education. Isn't it the reality that actually the government, a lot of these NGOs who are, let's face it, devising policy, they're, they're no longer non-governmental organizations. They're a central part of government. Isn't the strategy ultimately that children enter the system as early as possible and then they can be imbued with the system's values? Now, have I adopted a conspiracy theory around no, that? Or is there I, some I don't truth think you that? have, Michael. And it's interesting that you mentioned the late John Bruton, because for me, he was one of the probably last true Christian Democrats oh, yeah. in this country, where what motivated his politics was the common good. But it feels like that that's completely devoid in Irish politics at the moment, looking at the common good for all of society. And it's really more the balance sheet, isn't it? Because as the OECD says, women are seen as, they're talking about, let's not waste this human capital. Economic they're, units. Yeah, the economic units. And so therefore it's no surprise that the government would do everything they can to um, push women who might want to be at home into the workforce earlier than they would rather. And in doing that in their policy, they'll do things like prioritizing institutionalized childcare over, for example, a Scandinavian model where you have tax credits assigned to be spent whichever way. So me staying at home, a grandparent, crash, whichever it may Which be. Which is amazing, given that in every other aspect of social policy, we're told we should be more like Scandinavia. Yeah. So, I mean, th then you have to ask the question, OK, so what's the real what's the real kind of motivating factor in this particular change? the constitution and do you know what's at play there in scandinavia because i was doing a lot of research on this recently and this is where the approach has had the change in scandinavia because they've had a huge influx of immigrants from for want of a better term let's say more traditional societies so you're talking about women who have come from uh, south asia women who have come from islamic culture and it is just so embedded in the culture there that they want to stay at home and look after the children and actually they just were very resistant to this original Swedish model of getting all the children into childcare from five, six, seven months. They really believed that until the children were ready to go to school, that they they should be at home with uh, with, with a parent. So that's what's pushed a lot of the shift in Scandinavia now. The, the 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 cultural change from people coming from, as I say, more traditional societies. I think you know as well, Michael. There's probably mums and dads that are listening to this that are saying. 
I'm just worrying about paying the bills. We're in the middle of a cost of living crisis. You know, I'm looking at the crumbling healthcare system or the fact that I can't get a GP appointment. And, you know, this is what we're focusing our time and attention on. And, you know, we're concerned about the real bread and butter issues. And I just think that this is a little bit of a, a waste of time. And the interesting thing is, is the most one of the most recent opinion polls said a very, by a very narrow majority, people were saying, yeah, I'm going to vote yes, yes, but I don't really know why. And I don't know much about it. Yeah, which no. is kind of just shows you that kind of popular push in modern day Irish culture where it's anything that the government kind of tags as this is progressive and this is good when the reality is no this but is it, bad but, but it's not just the government most of the opposition has rolled in behind this as well and this is something that Marie Steen was talking about as well particularly in relation to Ivana Batchik, the uh, leader of the Labour Party so let's hear what Maria had to say about that Batchik says that the current wording is sexist and outdated and doesn't reflect the reality of women's <laughs> lives today Yet in order to bolster their claim that there is a gender pay gap, Batchik and the National Women's Council, Women's Council have been relying on the fact that in the vast majority of households, it's still women who take care of the household management and the raising of children. The ladies in the National Women's Council and politicians like Batchik say that there needs to be more recognition and acknowledgement of women's work carried out in their homes. And then they say, Take that acknowledgement out of the Constitution. It seems to me that rather than being outdated and not reflected in reality, the opposite is true. Women do still provide an incalculable service to society through their work in the home. What really annoys the feminists, though, is that so many women, given a choice, choose it freely. So there's Maria Steen on what Ivana Batchik is saying about this. Ivana is saying sexist, outdated. What do you think, Wendy? Yeah, well, like I said, I think some of the language could be updated, but I, I think it's the opposite. I think it is empowering to say, hey, society needs women and mothers in order to function on that acknowledgement of our role in raising the next generation, which is crucial. But here's part of the problem. When you have politicians like Ivana Bacic and groups, uh, you know, saying that they represent women, but actually not listening to women's points of view at all, is they are rep- far be it from representing kind of the broader group of women and mothers in this country, they're representing their own experience, their own point of view, okay? Ivana yeah. Bacic is, you know, a working woman. That is her worldview. The majority of those that are pushing at this, that is the world that they know. So they haven't taken the time to actually, or maybe it's been a long time since they were, you know, yeah. at home caring for their children. And I think if they actually sat down and looked at the data on this, and you don't even, who needs data to know actually, um, why should we not have an authentic choice is, if I want to stay at home and raise my kids, I can. If I want to go out to work, I can. And both should be equally valued. But they're not, Michael. You but know, you like these women, they'd be much more impressed with me if I'm, you know, say I'm a director of my own company rather than actually, because you'll hear women often say, oh, I'm just at home. No, you're not just. You're one of the most important parts of this society. So do you think in a certain sense, women who stay at home, who do the majority of the, the caring for their children, for their families, do you think in a sense they kind of feel or they're made to feel guilty, like somehow they've opted out of society or they're letting the sisterhood down? Yeah, that's I think it's exactly it. And it's 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 not seen. It's almost I feel like hearing some of the conversations from, you know, Orla O'Connor, Vanna Bachik and others, it's almost like motherhood's a little bit of an inconvenience, you know, and that this is just kind of something we have to put up with rather than supporting and celebrating it. And the thing that I find is, especially for modern women, that I think is so difficult about the fact that we've created this dual income economy where so many people don't have a choice other than dropping small kids off to a crash in their pyjamas and picking them up just before bedtime. And it's heartbreaking for 
many and they don't want it to be that way but they're trying to pay their bills but look how can how can they be so out of touch i walk through a vanabachik's constituency almost every day and it's a lovely constituency lots of lovely homes lots of suvs as you say dropping kids off when she's knocking doors surely this issue must come up surely she must encounter women who actually enjoy being mothers yeah, but I think also in the, and, and her constituency would would traditionally be, uh, you know, seen as kind of more liberal leaning that, again, it's that idea of, well, I want to be seen to be being progressive, liberal without actually kind of applying a little bit of intellectual curiosity to what's at play here, what's the kind of deeper issue. And I do think it's it's a real it's a real attack on the diversity yeah. of Irish women yeah. and yeah. the choices that they make. And we're actually taking away those choices or like you say totally undervaluing devaluing and not just devaluing but yeah it's a bit of a slap in the face for moms who whether they're working full-time part-time or in the home full-time um saying that that part of your life that re and again for most mothers um and fathers they will say what's the most important thing in their life it's going to be their family and their kids it's not their job no, for sure. And look, I think then what you're saying, really, this is another example of the government being out of touch. And I think we, we we see so many examples of this. And sometimes I feel like I'm being gaslit in this country. I feel sometimes like I'm being constantly gaslit. Like I hear politicians on talking about how uh, the climate catastrophe is the most pressing thing that we're facing. And of course, it's it's hugely important. You know, we have a huge responsibility and duty around uh, leaving the planet for future generations. But when I look at opinion polls, I see that three percent of people say that climate change is the most important issue for them now maybe more people should think it's a more important issue but that is the reality and then the other side of things uh, i see and i speak to people who have huge concerns around immigrations these people are not racists these people are some of the best people in the country but you know what some of them are living with chronic illnesses and they used to be able to go and see their gp every two weeks uh, to have their chronic illness looked at now they're unable to go because the massive numbers of people that that gp is now responsible for seeing and they don't blame the immigrants who have come they actually blame the government but up until very recently the government were telling us oh this isn't an issue people aren't concerned at all when the opinion polls were saying something very different you know we're seeing just a, a the compound effect of a failure in government policy over a period of years that you know has reached in many of these areas whether it's schools gps you know a boiling point and i think the discussion on this referendum just shows that the big boys club in leinster house they're in their little bubble and that's why we're seeing so much concentration recent years on these kind of populist issues that have catchy little sound bites and we can say things like equality etc etc because they're living their lives you know on Instagram and Twitter and yeah. all these things and they've got a lot of people patting them on the back but you know who those people aren't they're not the kind of everyday people like you and me who are who are just trying just trying to kind of make it through and there's a total disconnect between the life they're living and the life of the average Irish person. But see, I also wonder if this is one of the reasons why, you know, Sinn Féin are having a meltdown in party headquarters at the moment because they're losing ground in the opinion poll because to what extent are they an effective opposition? Can you think of one thing where they disagree with the government on? Even on housing, they just say we have more will around it. Uh, there's no particular policy shift. And that's the thing that Irish politics in a way has become a very boring in a way because yeah. there, <laughs> there, there's no divergence really. 
I mean, even between Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael at the moment, is there any major differences between them? So the op- opinion polling, which I think is wrong, I if I had to guess now, if you uh, asked me if I was a betting man, I would say the referendum on durable relationships will probably pass. I think the carers relationship, as I will correctly call it this time, I think that probably um, won't pass. Um, I, I think that probably will fail. But the opinion polling is saying about a third of people will vote no to both of them. By my count, only one TD in the doll is saying no, Pater Tobin. There, there might be more, but I don't know if the others have come out in a jet. How can we be in a situation where a third of the people are entirely unrepresented in our national parliament? Yeah, and it's probably a lot more than that. Um, I, I, I often think, again, with these issues that are kind of seen as populist, that people hold their cards close to their chest or they might be kind of silent no and they feel kind of almost embarrassed to give their real opinion. Even though I don't think this is... When you actually drill down into it, I don't think it's particularly controversial. But over the last number of years, through subsequent referenda, this one included, there has been no major party um, opposing. And that's a really bad recipe in any polit- in any democratic society because there's no proper robust debate. Yeah. And even those who do oppose, eventually many of them go on a journey. Uh, they started really, really strong. Or they're principles. kicked out of their parties for being for having opposing views. That's the issue. I mean, you look at some of the uh, some of the most prominent uh, people within Fianna Fáil who opposed the abortion referendum, who uh, voted no to abortion themselves. Uh, they're now central parts of the the party apparatus, the party regime. Many of them are. Our, uh, junior ministers and uh, they too went on a journey and somehow discovered that they had a different opinion than they used to have and you seem to get a much better position very shortly thereafter but that's probably a conversation we're, for another day we're, we're very cynical Andy we're I very know cynical. totally but I'm you sure know it's what? A genuine journey. I, I do think it's important that people kind of take a step back and look at the tra- trajectory of uh, and ask that question is it good in a democratic society when you're having a referenda that you have no major political party standing in opposition or giving an alternative point of view on and these are important things that we're talking about or i don't believe as i said from the start that we should be having a referendum on it yeah but you know why is that that's the big question that i don't think is being asked and then of course there's a there's a ripple effect because we have a lack of diversity here in the irish media as well even even in britain you know there, there'd be a little bit more kind of a, a diversity more kind of yeah, uh, in terms of newspapers and, and, and TV outlets, etc. Well, you have right-wing press, you have left-wing press. I mean, here, they all pretend to be centrist, when actually, really, it, it is it is pushing uh, one particular agenda, and it very much is a, a left-of-centre agenda. I think that's coming from all of the papers, from all of the broadcasters. Yeah, and I think, well, for people listening, whatever you call yourself, left, right, centre, you know, you go onto the Referendum Commission, read what the Constitution actually says, ask yourself, if does just changing this stuff does taking it out one part of it, is that actually going to impact anybody's life for the better? I think that's the big question. And something we might come back to in another episode is, uh, you mentioned the National Women's Council, uh, 98.6% funded by the taxpayer at this stage. I mean, if they were relying on membership to keep going, they couldn't stay open for more than two weeks. But this, to me, brings in the McKenna judgment. Uh, if we remember, the McKenna judgment was a ruling from the Supreme Court that it's actually illegal to spend taxpayers' money pushing one side of a referendum or another. It seems to me that if they're relying on the 1.4% of their money that doesn't come from the taxpayer, then they're going to have a fairly pathetic referendum campaign. Yeah, well, they're, they're, it's, it's funny. It's the government is lobbying itself, essentially, because they're using our tax-funded money 
to pay the National Women's Council who are then lobbying the government on so-called behalf of women when they're actually not. We have so many young soldiers abroad now in harm's way in Syria, trying to supervise the truce there in the Syrian civil war. We have them in Lebanon at the moment where Hezbollah and uh, Israel are firing uh, shots uh, across our soldiers at each other on uh, a daily basis. Those soldiers are really poorly paid. The entire budget for the Department of Defence in this country is only one sixth of what the NGO funding is. One billion is the Department of Defence budget. NGOs in this country get six billion every year. I think we, we need to shift our priorities as well, especially since we want to say as a country, we want to be at the big table at the UN. We want to really be heard on the Middle East and yet our soldiers are paid a paltry amount. Yeah, it does. It does put it in perspective, doesn't it, Michael? But the, I think as well, it's that question of how do we reach people? How do we go beyond the kind of soundbite culture that we've created? How do we go beyond just, you know, people watching or listening to two and three minute clips where they actually get to have the chance to truly explore what we're talking about in this referendum. Well, really, that's what we hope that State of the Nation uh, can be, that State of the Nation will contribute to that debate and move beyond some of the soundbites. Uh, that is all we have time for from this latest edition of State of the Nation. If you enjoyed it with me, Michael Kelly and Wendy Grace, please do give us a like and recommend us to your friends. And as always, you can join in the conversation by emailing editor at stateofthenation.ie and check out our previous episodes on stateofthenation.ie. Thanks for listening.